So we're spending our summer talking about identity. We're working to find out who we really are in Christ. We're looking for our true identity. We're looking for what we were created to be. We're looking for what we were called to be. So each week we've been considering a different aspect of our identity in Christ. You know, Jesus and the writers of the New Testament used a variety of words and phrases. They employed an array of metaphors and illustrations to help us understand who we are in Christ Jesus. And each week we're focusing on one of those descriptions or metaphors. Each week we're shining a light from a different angle on our identity in Christ to help us discover and understand who we really are in Christ. And I don't know about you, but so far I've found the descriptions and metaphors we've looked at pretty palatable. They've been rather pleasant to embrace. Recreated? Sounds good. Adopted child? Sign me up. God's priest? Well, why not? A radiant bride? Well, if Jesus is my groom, then absolutely. So far, I'm all on board with this identity stuff. But then we come to today. And today we're going to hear that our identity in Christ is as a servant. You're going to hear that in Christ you're no longer enslaved by sin because you've been set free to be a servant of Jesus. You've been set free to be a servant. A servant. That can be a problem, can't it? It can be a problem because it goes against most of our human natures. If we're honest, most of us prefer to be served instead of being the servant. If we're honest, most of us feel like we deserve to be served instead of being the servant. So that's one problem. The other problem is we live in a culture that actively encourages and celebrates those who have the power to be served. We live in a culture that actively discourages and denigrates those who do serve. In many ways, that's the way our culture defines success, isn't it? Success is defined by how far up the ladder you've climbed. Success is gauged by how many people are below you on the organizational chart. Success is defined by how many people have to serve you. Years ago, I was working as the branch manager of a downtown bank, and one morning as I arrived to work early, I was surprised to find one of the loan officers already there and in my office. And I was even surprised, even more surprised, to see what he was doing in my office. He was in there with a pencil and a notebook and a tape measure. And he was measuring the dimensions of my office. He was calculating the square footage of my office. You know, he didn't offer an explanation, and I didn't ask for one. I didn't ask for one because I didn't need an explanation. I knew exactly what he was doing. See, he had recently received a promotion and a new title. And that promotion and new title put him above me on the company ladder. So he was in there just making sure that my office wasn't any larger than his office. And that may sound petty, and it was. But he just got caught doing what most everybody else was also doing. See, that's how you know you're achieving success. How you can know you're climbing the ladder and clawing your way up to middle management. 
You can know if you have the title and if you have the office and if you have the people under you and serving you to prove it. So there's little wonder why we have a problem adopting servant as our identity. It goes against our nature and it goes against our culture. But this problem with embracing a servant identity isn't really new. It certainly isn't unique to our time and our place. In fact, there are two fascinating instances in the Gospel of Mark that reveal that even Jesus' apostles, even his chosen 12, had a problem adopting a servant identity. The first occurrence came on a road trip through Galilee. We're told that Jesus didn't want anyone to know they were passing through because he was intent on teaching his disciples. It was a teaching road trip. But apparently the twelve had enough time from their road trip lessons to engage in an argument. And since they were walking, this argument wasn't about who got to sit by the window. It wasn't about who was intruding on someone else's space. No, this argument was about something more fundamental. We read about it in Mark chapter 9 beginning in verse 33. So when they got to Capernaum, Jesus asked the apostles, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last, and the servant of all. What's the issue Well, the issue is who's the greatest. The issue is which one of us is higher up the ladder. Where do each of us fit in the organizational chart? Who's going to have to do the serving and who is going to be served? Who's going to have the biggest office? And those issues sound familiar to us because they are our issues as well. And you would think that Jesus' rebuke, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. You would think those words from Jesus would have stopped the twelve from trying to claw their way up the discipleship ladder. But the desire to be served is deep-seated, and it dies hard. And so it wasn't long before those ambitions once again bubbled to the surface. Mark 10, verse 35 We read that James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Uh, You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Then verse 40, Jesus continued and said, to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Verse 42, when the other ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. And said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It seems pretty bold, doesn't it? It's an obvious power play. James and John have their tape measures out. 
They want to make sure they have the biggest offices in Jesus' kingdom. And the other ten are indignant. Well, why are they furious at James and John? Well, they're angry because they understand how the power game has always worked. They know that the ones positioned next to the king, the ones with the titles, the ones with the biggest offices are the ones who get served instead of having to serve. To use Jesus' words, those are the ones who get to lord it over the others. And none of the twelve has any desire to be lorded over by any of the others. And I get it, don't you? I don't have any desire to be lorded over by any of you. And I suspect that none of you has any desire to be lorded over by me. But that's the way the apostles have been taught the world works. That's the way we've been taught the world works. You claw your way to the top in order to have authority over and to be able to lord it over those below you. And it was difficult and it was complicated for the apostles to move away from a world where success is defined by how far up the ladder you've climbed, where success is gauged by how many people are below you on the organizational chart, where success is counted by how many people have to serve you, where success is reflected by the size of your office. It was difficult and complicated to move from that world to Jesus' kingdom, where success is measured by service. A kingdom where even the king's identity is as a selfless servant who gave up his life for many. It was difficult. It was complicated for them to embrace a servant identity. And it's no less difficult and complicated for us to adopt the identity of servants. It's complicated. So let me complicate it some more for you. I want to introduce you to the Greek word doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S, doulos. And I want you to know that doulos is a translator's nightmare. It's one of those Greek words that doesn't have a perfect modern English equivalent. So it's normally translated in one of three ways. It's either translated as a servant, doulos is a servant, or it's translated as slave, a doulos is a slave, or and more rarely, it's translated as bondservant. A doulos is a bondservant. So, for example, in the passage that we just read, Mark 10, 43, the New International Version reads like this. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, your doulos. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, must be slave, doulos, of all. See, and that passage could just as easily read... Whoever wants to be great among you must be your slave, and whoever wants to be first must be servant of all. Or it could read slave and slave or servant and servant. In English translations, those two words are used interchangeably. So what does that matter? Well, it matters because our 21st century American minds and 21st century American ears don't hear those words as anywhere near the same thing. Those two words, servant and slave, are worlds apart. Try this out. Close your eyes and bring up your mental image of a servant. Here's mine. It's Mr. Carson. It's the butler from Downton Abbey. 
starched collar, black jacket, bow tie, someone who's completely devoted to serving the needs of the Earl of Grantham and the aristocratic Crawley family. In my mind, he's the picture of a servant. Okay, now close your eyes and bring up your mental image of a slave. Here's mine. It's a black man, ragged clothes, visible scars on his back. He stooped over, he stooped over crops in oppressive heat while a white man with a whip closely watches his progress. It's my picture of a slave. Servant and slave, worlds apart. So if we're serious about adopting the identity of a doulos, which image should we have in mind? Servant or slave? Or maybe an altogether different image. It's a Goldilocks problem, isn't it? One image is too hard and one image is too soft. But maybe there's an image that is just right. So what's the problem with adopting an identity as a slave of cross of Christ? Well, the problem isn't in the concept of being a slave of Christ. No, the concept is valid. The concept is biblical. The problem is the baggage that comes along with the word in our world. You see, slave is a trigger word for us. We're almost incapable of hearing the word slave without bringing to mind the ugly history of slavery in our country. A history where slaves were captured and coerced. A history where slaves were mistreated and abused. And that image of a slave simply doesn't match our identity in Christ. Unlike the slaves that were brought to America, we haven't been coerced. No, instead we have chosen our identity. And unlike a slave born into slavery, we weren't born into our identity in Christ. No, we were reborn into our identity. We were able to choose our family and our father. And we aren't mistreated by our master. No one is standing over us with a whip. Our identity doesn't come from the scars on our back. No, our identity comes from the wounds suffered by our master. So slave, that's an identity image that's simply too hard. It's too severe to work well for us in Christ. So how about the word servant? How about the image servant? How about being a butler or a maid in Jesus' kingdom? Well, the problem with that image is it's simply too soft. And so it also doesn't match our identity in Christ. See, unlike butlers and maids, we aren't hired hands. We don't have the privilege of working from nine to five. Our identity in Christ is serving our master all of the time and everywhere. And unlike butlers and maids, in Christ we have no entitlement. We don't earn our wages. No, our rewards are gifts. They're gifts of grace from our master. And unlike servants, for us, obedience to our master is not optional. If we don't obey him, then we can't claim him as our master. So servant is an image that's simply too soft to describe our identity in Christ. So let's try on a third word. Let's try a third image. Let's try on bond servant. 
So close your eyes and bring up an image of a bond servant. Well, if you're like me, you don't come up with much. And that's the strength and it's the weakness of trying to adopt the identity of a bond servant. The strength in using bond servant as our image is that it doesn't come with any baggage or preconceived notions or ideas. The weakness is that for most of us, it doesn't come with much of anything. We aren't sure what a bond servant is or what a bond servant does. So we don't know if bond servant is an accurate description of our identity in Christ. So what does it mean to be a bond servant? Well, it means that you are kind of a slave and kind of a servant. Bond servant has its roots in the Mosaic law. One of the provisions God set up for his people was how to deal with fellow Jews who fell on hard times and couldn't pay off their debts. And one option was for the debtor to sell him or herself to the one they owed to satisfy their debt. Here's what it was to look like from Deuteronomy chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. We read, If a fellow Hebrew, a man or a woman, sells himself to you and serves you six years, in the seventh year you must let him go free. And when you release him, do not send him away empty-handed. Supply him liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to him as the Lord our God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. But if your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, then take an awl and push it through his earlobe into the door and he will become your servant for life. A servant for life. That's a bond servant. It's someone who willingly chooses to stay. It's someone who chooses to be bonded to their master as a servant for life. Chooses to be his servant for life, even though they had the freedom to leave, the freedom to go their own way. You see, a bondservant willingly gives their master exclusive ownership. When the all goes through the ear, the transaction is sealed. The bondservant belongs to the master and the master alone. The bondservant is declaring, I am yours and yours alone. And the bondservant is someone who pledges complete submission to their master. There will be no usurping authority. There will be no designs on the master's big office. There will be complete submission. They are affirming, I will obey you and you alone. And finally, the bondservant is accepting a life of absolute dependence on the master. They are declaring, you will provide, and I will serve. I will serve you and you alone. Bondservant. I think that identity in Christ is just about right. But why would someone do that? Why would someone willingly choose to be a servant for life and give up their right to claw their way up the ladder. Why would you choose this identity as a bondservant? Why did you choose to have your ear pierced by Jesus when you walked into the baptism water and willingly chose to be bonded to him as your master for life? Well, choosing an identity as a bondservant only makes sense when you have a master like Jesus. See, it's all about the master. It's all about Jesus. 
Your master is one who bought you at a high price, the price of his life. So you know that your master loves you. You know your master values you. That's why you chose this identity. That's why you chose this identity as his bond servant. And not only does your master love and value you, your master rescued you. He actively worked to set you free from your old and destructive master just so you could be set free to serve this loving master, the one who gives you all good things. That's why you chose this identity as his bondservant. And not only does your master love and value you, not only has he rescued you, your master went before you as a servant. He took on the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself and went obediently to the cross where not his ear, but his side was pierced. You choose this identity because your master is someone who understands surrender better than anyone else. No one understands surrender better than Jesus. That's why you willingly choose the identity of Jesus' bondservant. It's all about your Master, so let me ask you, who are you? Who are you in Christ? This morning, I want you to hear God declare that you are a doulos. Hear God declare that you are a bondservant of Christ Jesus. You have surrendered the right of ownership. You are his. You are a bondservant of Jesus Christ. You have surrendered the need for applause, the need for the big office. You've surrendered the need for applause because your master rewards you because he is gracious. Not because you've earned it, not because you've clawed your way to the top, but because he is gracious. You are a bondservant of Jesus Christ. You've surrendered the option of obedience. Obedience is no longer a choice. Instead, obedience is your very life. For you are his servant, and he is your master for life. In Christ, that's who you are. Let's pray. Father, help us surrender to you so that we can be the bondservants you created us to be. It's in the name of our master, Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, let me end by giving you identity challenge number six. I challenge you this week to make a list of the nouns you use to identify yourself. You can use the the phrase, I am, and fill in the blank as an aid. My list might start like this. I am a husband. I am a parent. I am a grandparent. I am a preacher and on it goes then next take your list your list of nouns and turn each of those nouns into an adjective an adjective that will help you identify your true identity in christ for example i would say i am a bondservant of christ jesus who's also a husband to kathy i am a bondservant of christ jesus who's also a grandparent to james and David Wesley. I am a bondservant of Christ Jesus, who also preaches at the Netherwood Park Church of Christ. Take this challenge, and in Christ, turn your nouns into adjectives and embrace your true identity as a bondservant of Christ Jesus. 
Let's end in song as we take the name of Jesus with us.